The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. So good evening, everyone. My name is Yugetsu, and I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo. And um, the talk I prepared for tonight uh, centers around the self inquiry and the Dharma of drag. However, with all the horrifying attacks on civilians in Israel and the retaliatory strikes and the blockade of Gaza, I feel it would be a grave omission on my part not to at least begin by acknowledging the deep ache so many of us are feeling right now. Feeling about this unfolding tragedy. Uh, yesterday, uh, my heart uh, broke while watching an interview with a distraught woman whose daughter had been kidnapped and held hostage. And she exclaimed, how can humans do this to their own kind? In another report, I saw the anguished face of a man in Gaza as he held a lifeless little girl that he just pulled out of the rubble. And in the face of such human tragedy, it's really hard to know how to respond, particularly when the fighting has been so entrenched for such a long time, and it may seem very far away. In Zen practice, one of the beginning koans we work with is, how do you stop the fighting across the river? It's a very valuable koan in illuminating that the same three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance, that have been behind every war, every conquest, or holocaust are alive and well inside of us. Okay, I think, how's that better? So greed, anger, and ignorance are alive and well inside of us. And as long as we separate from them and point elsewhere, they're right here waiting to trip us up. Yasutani Roshi, who was a uh, teacher of our lineage founder, Maizumi Roshi, uh, famously said, the fundamental delusion of humanity is to suppose that I am here and you are out there. Sadly, Yasutani Roshi had his own troubled history of supporting an ideology that would lead Japan into World War II and great tragedy. And all of this is just to say that none of us are immune to the three poisons. It's with us, it's very present. So rather than running from these poisons or indulging in them or self-medicating, our practice helps us bring these poisons out into the light sitting zazen together, 
we support each other as we navigate through these challenging times. We may not be able to stop the terrible things that are happening all over the world, but violence and hatred are in some ways like a virus. And by learning to see the depths and not separating from our own greed, anger, and ignorance, we take responsibility for our part and hopefully can stop the spread. So this weekend we're having a Zazenkai, which gives us all a chance to sit together and to renew our vows to be of service and to try and stop the suffering. So um, I hope that you'll consider joining us either in person or online uh, so that we can continue our practice. So uh, now on to my talk about the self, masks, inquiry, and drag. As we see in the koan, how do you stop the fighting across the river, we're better equipped to meet the challenges of everyday life when we give up fixed ideas of who we are and how things should be. When we give up fixed ideas of who's on this side of the river and who's on that side of the river. And it's not an easy practice giving up these fixed ideas because they're programmed into us and they're kind of inherent in being human. A young mind is formed by uh, experience and lessons and how they should act. And this training can become really problematic when what the child is experiencing goes contrary to how they're taught to act. In my case, growing up in the 1960s, some of my earliest memories involved thoughts and feelings that had to be hidden because I didn't feel they were safe. And as I grew up, these masks I would inhabit, these masks being my outward self as a female, working class, Italian-American, and my inner self, where forbidden desires struggled with the roles of a young woman and the performance of femininity, I, I was torn. So I created my workarounds. I would smuggle my GI Joes out of the house in my Barbie doll case. And the minute I got to where my friends were, I could ditch the case and just play. And as I grew, I became really um, uh, adept at switching these roles as needed. One day, I was a bridesmaid at a big Italian family wedding, teetering on high heels in a dress, makeup, all no hair too. The hair was always problematical in my case. Um, one day I'd find myself all gussied up, and the next day I'd find myself in jeans and a flannel shirt in a lesbian bar trying to find love. I'm sure I'm not alone, right, in uh, 
having a cabinet full of different masks that we all have, that we, we wear as the occasion rises and as we need to fit in. So all these roles and all this history um, is at work in building the concepts and the uh, thought patterns around the small self. And the thing is, from a Zen perspective, these concepts of who we are and who we're expected to be can cloud awareness of what's happening right now. Coming back to awareness time after time is essential. It is our practice. And it's from this awareness that we can really take right action, that we could do what's needed in the moment. As I was considering all of this in the Dharma of drag, there was one koan in particular that came up to me. Um, in Mumen Khan, case 12, called Zwiegen Calls Master, there's this useful dialogue with the self and awareness. And the koan goes like this. Every day, Master Zwiegen Shigen used to call out to himself, Oh, Master, and he would answer himself, yes. Are you awake? He would ask, and he would answer, yes, I am. Never be deceived by others any day, any time. No, I will not. So I find the practice of calling out and answering in this koan um, invigorating because it just invites you inside. You naturally want to make this dialogue your own internal dialogue. If you separate and just try and imitate this old man talking to himself, you, you miss the point of it. When you take the koan and you make it your own, and you delve into your own dialogue with the true master, you, you're committing to an awareness in this moment. In his Taisho on this koan, Muman said, Old Zwiegen himself sells and himself buys. He has a lot of masks of goblins and demons to play with. Why? Well, look, a calling one, an answering one, an awake one, and one who will not be deceived by others. If you take these different appearances as really existing, you are altogether mistaken. If, however, you just imitate Zwiegen, your understanding is that of a fox. So in working with this koan, the question comes up, what are these masks of goblins and demons that he's playing with? Muman is saying they're appearances, they're not real, they're ephemeral masks that don't exist. Do not 
be deceived. This is who you are. It's a very rigorous and subtle koan. In calling master, you inquire into the nature of the self, playing yourself. And so your mind in this kind of malleable state observes itself and vows to awaken. In the admonishment not to be deceived by others, and in the answering, no, I will not, the self acknowledges and drops the masks that can be incongruous and at odds with who you are right now. The true master being referred to here isn't outside yourself. It's actually you. So considering this koan, I've been thinking about the performance of identities in our um, ch current charged political environment, where there's this growing backlash against questioning roles and, an I and identities, particularly around gender and uh, sexuality. And this is, um, not too unique. I mean, up until the late 60s and 70s, there was little questioning of these roles. There was no LGBTQ movement. And uh, second wave feminism still faced the issue that women did not have their own autonomy. There wasn't a right to abortion. Uh, marital rape was legal. And women couldn't even get a credit card in their own name. I mean, all of these things existed up until the 60s and 70s. So in questioning these assigned roles, we're doing the work of Zwiegen calling master. In swapping out these masks of demons and goblins, I see the work of the inquiry of drag. Uh, this is very present to me because I recently made a documentary uh, about um, a pioneering anthropologist whose uh, 1970 work, Mother Camp, uh, explored drag bars in the 1960s, pre-Stonewall in the Midwest. Uh, it's called Esther Newton Made Me Gay, and it's about Esther Newton, this um, pioneering anthropologist. And in uh, Mother Camp, she gives a definition of camp and drag. You know, drag is a part, it falls under the rubric of camp. She gives a definition that still stands today in that uh, there are three aspects of drag. Uh, it's theatrical. It's funny, and it's based on incongruity. You know, incongruity in that, in, in the classic sense of drag, you have a man in a dress. And this is disconcerting. It kind of opens up this whole question of the performance of gender. Of course, this whole performance grows out of a kind of oppression. So it is a manifestation of oppression, but it's a joyous one. It's a subversion of oppression in its own way. A switching of masks, if you will. 
drag can be an art, but it's also a defiant practice that flies in the face of our society that expects us to play certain roles. And there are precautions and punishments for those who will step outside of, of these expected roles. And we see this today in um, those efforts to oppress and contain those are, who are transgender. And in recent legis uh, legislation that cuts off support for trans youth and, and their families, we're trying to deal with this. And we also see it in the backlash against the performance of drag in public spaces where children might see it. The stated fear is that drag will corrupt the innocence of children. Now this in some ways is relatively new because drag has been around since at least since ancient Greece, right? When uh, men would play the roles of women because women weren't allowed on stage. So it's really quite an old um, concept of uh, art. And I certainly grew up watching Flip Wilson um, in drag on TV and Milton Berle. But nowadays it's kind of shocking because you have Proud Boys showing up with um, assault weapons um, at drag story time hours, which is truly disconcerting because um, drag is seen as more dangerous as the massive proliferation of assault weapons that are killing kids and adults every day in this country. So this very backlash uh, against drag and gender fluidity is, is here. It's going to continue to grow um, in the current environment, and especially with the election coming up. So not too long ago, I was reminded of Zwiegen calling master during this year's Pride celebration in the small town where my partner and I spend a lot of time. Uh, we've been up there for about 15 years now. And in years past, Pride was roundly celebrated in the town. The whole town came out. But nowadays, everybody's kind of worked up. And this year, a small group of protesters came with signs, and they were standing on the corner. And the sign said, there's nothing prideful about drag. Groom your dogs, not our children. Pray for the children. Save the children. It's very disconcerting in a small town when your neighbors show up to protest you. Uh, there was a lot of tension, and the police were actually there kind of observing um, the situation, watching over the scene to keep the peace. But all of a sudden, this big wagon drives up and it has this LGBTQ church group of youth in the wagon. And as they approach the people with the, you know, save our children signs, they started calling out, we are the children. <laughs> And certainly, um, 
these teens weren't deceived by uh, signs telling them they needed to be protected from themselves. Whether they identified as LBGTQ or wanted support to support their friends who did identify as such, or maybe they just wanted to come to a parade. In any case, they were there, they affirmed who they were, and they um, asserted their right to be there. In calling out, we are the children, they honored and they protected who they are. And this, this courage that they were showing made me appreciate the importance of earlier generations in, in trying to do the work so that they could be out there and be safe. And as hard as it is for some to acknowledge, the true master includes queer space. How could it be otherwise? It's brave to call master. It's brave to call out. It's an intimate acknowledgement that our lives are a journey of becoming, despite all the voices who are trying to tell us what we should be. And I'm going to leave you with a, a quote from a famous writer and drag queen who unfortunately is no longer with us, uh, Quentin Crisp, who, offer, who offered up this version of self-inquiry. He said, ask yourself, if there was to be no blame, and if there was to be no praise, who would you be then? <laughs>